This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you, whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives. You'll find it all here. The Rugby World Cup is in full swing as teams from around the world battle it out in France. But much of the pre-tournament discussion has centered on foul play and the dangers of concussion. Rugby is a high-impact contact sport and even though its laws have changed and safety measures have improved, head injuries are an ever-present concern. But, as Govin found out, experts are developing innovative ways of detecting and treating the condition. It took 18 months for Springbok Pat Lambie to come to terms with his decision to retire from rugby, struggling with deep depression and a battered body. He was one of the brightest and most versatile talents in South African rugby playing 56 tests in his 10-year career. Here we go, Pat Lambie to give the Sharks a lead once more. Nicknamed the baby-faced assassin, he started out at 18 with the Sharks, was named man of the match in the 2010 Curry Cup final, and by 21, he was playing for South Africa. Under the most intense pressure, Patrick Lambie nails it. Well, he's only a little fella, Patrick Lambie, but he's got nerves of steel. A crippling knee injury while playing for the French team Racing 92 grounded Lambie. This is a huge, huge blow for us. But a blow two years earlier was the beginning of the end. Oh, terrific. Wow. A series of major concussions forced Pat Lambie into early retirement at the peak of his career. He was just 28 at the time. Now it's four years later and he's still the most prominent South African rugby player to speak out about this. You know, the rugby environment is very much who's the bravest, you know, who's the strongest. So tricky to walk into a room with huge specimens of human beings you know, very macho and to be like, sorry, I've got a sore head. Much easier to walk into a room if you're on crutches. You should be feeling better by now because it's been weeks or it's been months. It's, it's not an easy conversation to keep having over and over again with your coach, with your doctor, with your teammates. At the time of his retirement, he suffered from crippling headaches and burning eyes, taking longer and longer to recover from blows. Doctors feared long-term damage. How have you been since then? Um, the first 18 months was extremely difficult. Um, I was still suffering from some symptoms. They were more related to depression. I was getting um, very anxious and nervous about things, obviously in the back of my mind, wondering whether I was going to be okay in the long term, whether I was going to ever feel normal again. But in July, a test match building up to this year's World Cup thrust concussion back into the spotlight. Good 
penalty holding on. So much said about Grant Williams in the build-up to this test match. Wearing the number nine jersey for the first time. Scrum off, Grant Williams was knocked unconscious. Eerily familiar for Lambie. Oh, terrific. Wow. Seeing him being knocked out cold and the whiplash onto the ground and then stretcher and all of that was, yeah, um, shivers down the spine, I think, for every everyone watching. Williams was stretched off the field, but recovered in time to be named for the World Cup squad. There's a concussion in nearly every professional rugby game. So the big question is, how many knocks does it take before a player suffers long-term brain damage? So the honest answer to that is we don't know. Having said that, it's still important that the game acknowledges that there may be a cumulative effect to these head injuries. Professor John Patricius speaks for the International Consensus Group on Concussion, which informs much of the changes seen in collision sport. What is the research showing us about concussions? What do we understand now? conditions such as depression, anxiety, and suicide risk, there does not seem to be an increased risk of people that play contact and collision sport, and that applies to both amateur and professionals. But the jury is still out on the growing body of evidence of long-term brain damage at a professional level, with extreme positions held on both ends of the debate, causing major unease in the game's corridors of power. The latest case, 28-year-old Australian player Heather Anderson, diagnosed after death with the brain disease Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy, or CTE, after her suicide last year. This despite her mother insisting she wear headgear, since starting to play rugby at the age of five. But the science shows that the cap only protects the skull, not the brain knocking around inside. In Britain, more than 200 former amateur and professional players are suing their unions for negligence and failure to protect them from brain injuries. One of them is 2003 World Cup winner England's Steve Thompson, diagnosed with early-onset dementia. Others claim they've suffered permanent neurological injuries, including Parkinson's, Alzheimer's and especially CTE. Are you still concerned about that? I, I cling on to um, an opinion of one of the doctors who I, I saw in the UK. You get a small percentage of people who deal with head trauma extremely well. Most of us deal with it fine. And you get a small percentage of people who deal with it really badly. It's almost like the card that you are dealt. And I don't want to spend my days feeling anxious and worried about what may or may not come in my old age. Because there's no visible injury, concussion can be complex to detect, especially the subconcussive or minor blows, which present the bigger problem. Successful concussion treatment relies on the players being honest with themselves, their coaches and their doctors. What rugby needs is an independent test. And they're getting there. After six years of studying player saliva, they can now detect concussion from changes in the makeup of the saliva. 
Kyle Paper, sports scientist at Lions Rugby, is part of two major international studies. They do a baseline test before the season starts, and then after that we do these tests directly after every game. And most promising is that they've also found a recovery signature in the saliva, removing any lingering doubts from the players' minds as to whether or not they've made a complete recovery. It would be game-changing if um, the decision to return to play was taken away from player, team doctor, team coach. That's a scenario becoming increasingly possible as technology is deployed to answer important questions, like at what gravitational force does a blow cause concussion? It's something being measured with smart mouthguards. So the chips in the front, they have accelerometers and, and all their monitoring devices are, are in the front. After each game, the data is downloaded. These graphs are the G-forces that uh, each impact has given. This player had a red flag for this session, which is 52 G-force and then obviously their location. Currently, they don't know at what G-force concussion occurs. But by measuring both big and small hits, the player and the medical team have a lot more to work with. What worries us more is where the concussions are not identified and the player plays on and places herself or himself at greater risk. A super rugby match Lambie played in 2012 is a perfect example. Good low tackle coming in. Leave it hands! I had a head knock 20 odd minutes into the game. Yeah, it looks like you took a little bump around the temple area there, which is bound to leave you seeing a few stars. And carried on playing. Lambie with the twinkling feet and away he goes. Yeah, I had kicked penalties, kicked a conversion, was catching and passing, was carrying on. Finished the first half, but I only came round when I was in the change room, the halftime talk, and I just started crying because I actually didn't know how I got there, what the score was, what, what I'd done on the field beforehand. And I think you can't I stayed, remember any of that? No, I, my memory of it is, is footed like a raging bull. And if the first concussion is missed, a second blow soon after can be fatal. If this is walking off the field, maybe is he going for a concussion assessment, Bros? You'd have to be going for one. But SA Rugby Union Chief Medical Officer Clint Reedhead says the good news is that the immediate head risk assessment has brought down missed concussions from 56% to 13%. There's been a greater awareness around concussions in rugby over the last few years and more people hesitating to let their kids play. I think the, the, the CTE lawsuits have driven that. We want to do as much as we can to mitigate concussion in the sport. I think it's important to state that we'll never get to a point where there is zero risk in the sport. But what I will say is that the, the game is in a good space. It, it, it's never had so much attention to making it safer. The culture in world rugby has changed, with strict enforcement of dangerous play regulations and lowering tackle heights. The urgency has driven scientific innovation and concussion is now considered a treatable condition. But ultimately, it's a high-impact collision sport. Primed athletes running at each other with enormous force. I'm hoping that it's becoming easier for players to acknowledge that concussion is a very, very serious injury 
and you have to treat it properly and you have to be fully recovered before you run onto the field again. There have been several controversial decisions in test matches recently, once again casting a light on how we could better protect players against serious head injuries. We spoke with SA Rugby's Clint Reedhead about the work Saru is doing to try and protect players. You can find that interview now on the Carte Blanche website. Thanks for listening. In case you missed any of our earlier episodes, you can find them all now on Spotify and all other major platforms. Also, head on over to the Carte Blanche website for more insightful content.